A few weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call, and honestly, it was a pretty important one. And it was one where I found myself a bit nervous going into it. And it was one of those situations where everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. Now, it was a Friday, I was at home, and my dog, Teddy, would not stop barking. He's quite attached to us and hates any of us on screens, but on this particular day, he was over the top. Then the camera on my computer wouldn't work, Meanwhile, it worked the evening before, and then three quarters of the way through the Zoom call, my computer flat out died because it turned out that my charger was no longer working and I hadn't realized it. It was a perfect storm, and by the time my computer died, I was kicked off the call and I was sweating. I was humiliated, and at this point, I assumed I would need to change my postal code and move because I would never be able to see these people again without dying of utter and complete embarrassment. Now, a few minutes later, the person leading the meeting over Zoom called my cell phone. And as I answered, he extended a ridiculous amount of kindness and empathy to me and said, I can see that you're having a tough day. And I don't see it as a reflection of you. You're having a tough day and it doesn't reflect my opinion of you. And honestly, at this point, I almost laughed out loud because first of all, the phone call was so unexpected. I mean, who calls each other anymore? And I was so aware of how undeserving I felt of compassion and love. And the more that I reflected on it, I don't know that I would have had the emotional maturity to extend that kind of love and kindness and dignity to myself if I was in their shoes. And that was hard to admit. That was humbling to admit. And all of this reinforced to me that loving people is hard work. Loving others, it requires emotional maturity. Loving others requires a healthy relationship with God. And it's for that reason that I am deeply grateful to be collectively learning from and spiritually formed by Pete Scazzaro in this series of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Because Emotionally Healthy Spirituality isn't just about our own emotional well-being. It's not just about our relationship with God. It's a journey to help us love others well. And so consider what we read in Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. We read this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. A few weeks ago, a friend pointed out to me that this most important commandment begins with an invitation to listen. It begins with, hear, O Israel. And listening is key to relationship and key to loving one another well. Because when we don't listen, we, um, we often miss important, even crucial information. 
And it's as we listen that we hear and learn from Jesus that the most important commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Jesus emphasizes all of this by telling us that there is no greater commandment than these two commandments. They summarize everything that we need to know about a life of faith. And the reality is Jesus knew what he was talking about. And Jesus knew that relationships work best when we live this way. When we live in a loving relationship with God, when we live in a a loving relationship with others, and when we live in a loving relationship with ourselves. The way of love is the way of Jesus. It's the way of thriving and flourishing as emotionally healthy adults. Jesus made it abundantly clear that loving God and loving others is exactly what life with Jesus is all about. In fact, loving God and loving others cannot be separated. Emotionally healthy spirituality isn't just about being emotionally healthy and having a good relationship with God. It's about how those two dynamics integrate together and create the capacity for us to love well. And so the entire point of the journey of emotionally healthy spirituality is that you and that I learn to love others well. And you and I both know that this is way easier said than done because um, relationships are complicated and because we are so human, right? That's just the reality. Now, we read in 1 John 4.20 that if anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see. And this is actually like, this is blunt and this is radical to hear. And loving God includes loving people. These are strong words that require some sober reflection from us. And the point of chapter seven of emotionally healthy spirituality, it's not to make us feel guilty and to shame us, rather just the opposite. The goal of this chapter is to envision us to a life of deep and radical and abounding love, which is ultimately what we long for, what we are made for. And this is God's very best plan for us. And loving others well begins with us allowing ourselves to be deeply loved by God. Now, before I get any further into today's message, I want to pause and say with as much humility as I can that I am not an expert at all in this. Gosh, no, far from it. And while we as a church want to champion this value of loving well, and we want to champion emotionally healthy spirituality, we are not experts either. In fact, we are increasingly listening and learning how to do this. We are intentionally placing ourselves in positions to be learning and listening. And we're not preaching this series because we have this all figured out, but because we need and want to grow in it. Friends, I am together with all of you, together with our whole church, and we are on this journey of growing into emotional and spiritual maturity and growing in what it means to love well. And I'm so grateful to be in this conversation with all of you, knowing that this is beautiful and brave 
kingdom work. Now, if loving God means that we love others well, the question is, how do we do that? How do we love others well? I had a big birthday not too long ago, and my friend Allison um, told me at my birthday that she was making me something homemade. And then just a few days ago, Allison brought by the gift that she spent actual months creating for me. She, get this, made me a homemade quilt. Now, as someone who has just started sewing, never mind quilting, I cannot even fathom the work and love and attention to detail that went into this quilt. And when she gifted me this gorgeous quilt, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Carrie, as I made this quilt and stitched it together, I prayed for you that you would feel so loved. I was picturing you being held and surrounded by the love of God. As you can imagine, receiving this was an extraordinary experience of being seen, of being loved so well, of experiencing the love of God through another in a really uh, beautiful and tangible way. And of course, it's one thing to love our close friends well, but how do we love well when others are perhaps hard to love? As I grow in emotional health in my relationship with God, I learn to see others as unique image bearers of God. Now, in 1923, a Jewish theologian, Martin Buber, wrote a book called I and Thou. And in it, Buber describes that the most healthy or mature relationships possible are between two human beings in what he calls an I-Thou relationship. And in such a relationship, we recognize that we are made in the image of God, and so is every other person on the face of earth. And this makes them a thou to us. He goes on to say that because of this reality, every person, including ourselves, deserves respect. Every person deserves to be treated with dignity and worth. And we are not to dehumanize or objectify another. Others are to be affirmed as having a unique and separate existence apart from us. And though others might be different from us, we still respect and love and value them. Buber argued that in most of our human relationships, we lose sight of others as being separate from us. And we're so tempted to treat people as objects, as what he calls an it. And in the I-it relationship, we treat others as a means to an end. And the result of the I-it relationships is that we become frustrated when people don't fit into our plans. Now, it's in recognizing the uniqueness and the separateness of every other person on earth, because this is essential to our emotional maturity. In fact, Augustine defines sin as the state of being caved in on oneself, meaning that instead of using our God-given power to orient ourselves to God and to other human beings, we focus inward. C.S. Lewis described hell in The Great Divorce as the place where each person lives in isolation millions of miles apart from one another because they can't get along. Martin Buber he says that true relationships can only exist between two people if they're willing to connect across their differences. 
He says, get this, it's so profound that God fills that in-between space of the I-thou relationship. Isn't that beautiful? I find that so compelling, so compelling that God would permeate the in-between space of the I-thou relationship. And the central work of Buber's life work was that the I-thou relationship between persons ultimately and intimately reflects the I-thou relationship that humans have with God. And that genuine relationship with any thou shows traces of the eternal thou. When genuine love is expressed in a relationship, God's presence is manifested. And the separate space between us becomes sacred space. Now, as you hear this, what is coming up for you? Or how does that land for you? I want to pause and without shame and without beating ourselves up, just take a moment to simply notice and get curious and ask ourselves, are we treating ourselves as thou? Are we aware of our deep, um, the ways that we are deeply loved and made in the image of God? Are we treating and relating to the people around us as thou? Is there someone in our lives that we're treating as an it, when in reality they're worthy of being treated as a thou, as thou with dignity and respect? Because as I grow in emotional health in my relationship with God, I learn to see others as unique image bearers of God. And when that happens, we don't treat people as objects, but we love and respect others as people. At the heart of true peacemaking is the acknowledgement that we are human beings made in the image of God. And Scazzaro goes on in chapter 7 to, to write that most Christians he meets, um, they're not great at resolving conflict. And he said that there are at least two reasons for that. The first relates to wrong beliefs about peacemaking, and the second is a lack of personal equipping and training. And as we grow in emotional health in our relationship with God, we gain the capacity to resolve conflicts. We gain the capacity to restore love in our relationships. And friends, this is the work of peacekeeping. And when it comes to understanding uh, what it means to be a peacemaker, there's a verse in the New Testament that often is tragically misunderstood. And it's Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, many people think that Jesus calls us to keep the peace, that Jesus calls us to ignore difficult issues, to ignore problems, to make sure that things remain stable and serene. But Scazzaro says that when out of fear we avoid conflict, when we try to appease people out of fear, that we're actually being false peacemakers. Now, conflict and trouble were central to the mission of Jesus. In fact, he disrupted the false peace around him all the time in the lives of his disciples, in, uh, in and among the crowds, with religious leaders, with the Romans, with those buying and selling in the temple. Because you can't have true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretenses. They must be exposed to the light and replaced with truth because this is the mature and loving thing to do. 
In fact, in the Beatitudes, Jesus explains to us the characteristic, the characteristics that we need to display if we're to engage in true peacemaking. Things like poverty of spirit, meekness, purity of heart, and mercy. Jesus invites us into a new and radical kingdom way of relating to one another. And in chapter 7, Pete Scazzaro writes that unresolved conflicts are one of the greatest tensions in the lives of Christians today. Most of us absolutely hate them. I mean, I sure don't love them. And instead of risking broken relationships, we have a tendency to ignore difficult issues and settle for what he calls a false peace, hoping that they will go away on their own. And typically they don't. Scazzaro says that we are to trade false peacemaking for true peacemaking, and that avoiding conflict is not what makes us a peacemaker. And then secondly, Scazzaro says that along with trading false peacemaking for true peacemaking, we are to learn and to practice um, skills of healthy conflict resolution. Now, many of us believe that loving well is something that we learn automatically and that love is a feeling. And we underestimate the deep inner growth and change that's needed in order for us to love well. And when it comes to equipping and training, in this chapter, Pete shares some practices that provide in their own way um, a means to help us move out of an I-it way of relating into an I-thou way of relating to others. And these are practices that help us contribute um, to following Christ into becoming true peacemakers and leading us to love well. And these are practices such as slowing down to listen deeply and openly, resisting the temptation to read the minds of other people, checking our assumptions and finding out are they real, are they fair, avoiding gossip, practicing respect, setting boundaries, being clear about our expectations of others and aware of any unrealistic expectations we have of others, along with knowing what our triggers are and being aware when someone is bumping up, bumping against an unresolved wounds from our past. As you and I grow in emotional health in our relationship with God, we gain the capacity to resolve conflicts well and to restore love in our relationships because this is the work of peacekeeping. We trade false, keep, false peacekeeping for true peacekeeping. We learn how to resolve conflict in healthy ways with healthy skills. And so let's be really courageous and ask ourselves, what might our next step, our next step be when it comes to loving well? when it comes to peacemaking? Is there a relational injury in your life that needs to be tended to? Is there a next step for you? Is there a next step for me when it comes to peacemaking? Now, as we wrap up, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our worlds and one of the greatest gifts that we can give one another is to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well. And this will take the power of God and a commitment to learn, a commitment to grow. It'll mean that we break unhealthy, destructive patterns that maybe go back generations in our family, in our culture, or in some cases in Christian culture. 
And as we do so, we're reminded that Jesus formed a small community with a small group from Galilee, a backward province in the ancient world. And this community, well, they were neither spiritually nor emotionally mature. In fact, Peter, the point leader, had a big problem with his mouth and was a bundle of contradictions. Andrew, his brother, was quiet and behind the scenes. James and John were given the name Sons of Thunder because they were aggressive, hot-headed, ambitious, and intolerant. Philip was skeptical and negative. Nathaniel Bartholomew was prejudiced and opinionated. Matthew, as a chief tax collector, was the most hated person in Capernaum, working in a profession that abused innocent people. Thomas was mildly depressive and pessimistic. Simon the Zealot was a freedom fighter and a terrorist in his day. And Judas, the treasurer, was a thief and a loner who pretended to be loyal to Jesus before finally, betra- before finally betraying him. Most of them, however, did have one great quality. They were willing. And that is all God asks of us. Are we willing? Because when we actively listen with openness and curiosity, when we prioritize loving others, when we see ourselves and others as image bearers of the divine, and when you and I pursue true peacemaking, we can grow in what it means to embody a healthy and a mature spirituality. And it's through love, that kind of love, that the world witnesses that we are disciples of Jesus. Friends, this is the invitation. This is the sacred and compelling and brave work that all of us are called to. And so may God's love indeed break through and into our lives. May you and I be open. May love abound in us and among us. May we each know our belovedness and our deep worth. And may we love well with the awareness of the deep worth and belovedness of others. May we be true peacemakers. Friends, I want this for myself. I want this for us. This is our prayer today. Now, next week, we're gonna bring together all of the principles that we've considered through this eight-week emotionally healthy spirituality journey. And we're gonna look at creating a tool called a rule of life to enable us to walk out all that we've talked about and learned about so far. So you're not gonna wanna miss next week as we wrap up this really important series of emotionally healthy spirituality. Let's pray together. God, you hold us so tenderly. You hold us um, with such strength. You hold us in deep, deep love. And may we each know our belovedness May we see the belovedness in one another. May we grow in what it means to love one another well. May we grow in what it means to be peacemakers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.